everyone and welcome back to Debatable, the podcast where we talk about the big issues and controversial topics, stuff you're all thinking about and what I want to talk about. This episode is dedicated to something that has been on my mind for a few months um, and it might be unpopular. I am very keen to hear what everybody else thinks about it. I'm just going to get straight into it and give you my take right off the bat. The conversation around climate change in the past few months has finally reframed around the financial impact, the actual economic and monetary cost of not doing anything. Personally, I think this is the angle that is actually going to get us the progress and the change that we want. So there have been some really key news stories over the past few months that uh, really highlight this shift and you know for 90% of the Z feed audience who care about the environment and I think these are the stories that are really worth knowing and these are the ones that have kind of really reinforced to me that the financial element of this discussion has been missed for a long time and including it now is going to really make a difference. Firstly, we'll start off with uh, the most recent story. This young guy from Brisbane, Mark McVeigh, who has successfully sued Rest Super after they failed to provide details about how they plan to minimize the risk of climate change on their investments. And their investments are essentially his investments as he is a Rest Super member. That's how superannuation works. He took them to federal court in 2018, uh, but as these things, you know, often really take a, a very long time. So it was only this week, you know, early November 2020, that an out-of-court settlement was reached and basically brought a, an end to, you know, the whole proceedings. Rest has made a pretty amazing public statement about the terms of that settlement that essentially, you know, when you read it, amount to a complete re-examination of how the entire fund is going to invest going forward and plan what companies they invest in and what companies they don't, including aiming for a net zero carbon footprint by 2050, not only of Rest Super itself, but of the other businesses that it invests in. This is a huge win. And even though it was a settlement and not a decision by the courts, which would have been a little bit more binding, it is still going to have a knock-on effect throughout the rest of the superannuation industry, definitely for the better. And that is absolutely something to be excited about. But I think there is a lesson at the heart of this story and at the very heart of why this case was successful that needs to be acknowledged if we want to keep making progress for the environment. Mark McVeigh didn't argue that Rest Super had a moral or an ethical obligation to essentially take corporate action on climate. So he didn't say this is something that we need to do to ensure the survival of the human race or to protect our living conditions or to preserve natural wonders or anything like that. He argued that a super fund has a legal obligation to ensure the best possible financial performance for its members, which it does by law, and that the effects of climate change are a direct, clear and current risk to the return on investment that it could get for its members. So he basically said, guys, climate change is a financial problem. And if you don't have a plan to address that problem, then you are on the path to business failure, to financial failure for the fund and for its members. 
That is why he was successful. And that is the only reason Mark McVeigh was able to get an entire super fund, which is managing literally billions of dollars every year, to change their policies for the good of the planet. It's because he framed the argument in a financial way. In the same week, we've also had Deloitte release a report on the economics of climate change in Australia. Now, Deloitte is, of course, one of the big four accounting firms and it's the biggest professional service organization in the entire world. So, you know, while I'm sure they have corporate social responsibility programs and things like that, ultimately a company of this size in the financial services industry, in the accounting industry, they care about money at the end of the day. I'm not saying that's good or that's bad. It is what it is. You want your accounting firms to care about money. So this report was purely on the economic impacts of climate change and nothing else. And what it revealed was both terrifying and optimistic and again, reframing this debate towards the financials. On one hand, the report claims that if Australia makes no changes to its climate policies and takes a business as usual approach, the country will lose $3.4 trillion from the economy and almost 900,000 jobs in the next 50 years. $3.4 trillion. For comparison, economists are estimating that COVID could cost the Australian economy somewhere between $170 and $450 billion, which is a hell of a lot of money, but it's still not in the trillions. So clearly that is the terrifying part of the report, how much we stand to lose purely on the economic side of things. But Deloitte also chose to tell a more optimistic story as part of all of this by predicting the economic gains that we could make if we implement strong climate policy. We could add $680 billion to the economy and we could create 250,000 new jobs. In the press release that came out with this report, there was one line that encapsulates the whole spirit of this episode and I think the whole spirit of the changing nature of this debate. So it said, this report provides a basis for a more hopeful and useful debate about climate change because Australia's current debate no longer appropriately serves Australians, our economy or our decision makers. For me personally, that's the whole thing summed up in a nutshell. If our society, if our government and those people in power make decisions primarily based on the amount of money to be gained or lost, then we really need to bring that to the forefront of discussion and demands for climate action. That needs to be more at the core of what we are talking about. You know, that's not to say that politicians and decision makers don't care about people at all and it's 100% about the money. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But we're kidding ourselves if we ignore how central money is to survival and to existential threats. And ultimately, climate crisis is the biggest existential threat of all. So maybe we need to start talking about money even more. One of the most interesting parts about that Deloitte report was its prediction that more than half of the jobs that will be lost to climate change would come from Queensland alone. So they predicted that potentially more than 400,000 jobs will be lost just in Queensland. If you think back to the 2019 federal election, 
Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party's shock win was largely due to Queensland and the pushback against Labor's climate proposals in regional areas that rely really heavily on mining and agriculture. This is, of course, taking, you know, the politics and the spin and the misinformation and the advertising campaigns out of it. So we just park that to the side. Essentially, a large portion of of the vote in regional areas was kind of predicated on this idea that Labor was going to take really heavy action on climate change, which was going to disadvantage people in those areas. So for these voters, it absolutely was about survival and it absolutely was about money. So I'm inclined to think that if we start pushing money to the front of the climate action debate, you'll start to gain support from new people in new ways and new areas rather than just preaching to the choir of the converted, people who already agree and who are already on board. That brings me to the third and final news story, which I'm going to reference in all of this which I personally think is the most remarkable, even though it's probably the smallest story and it didn't get a lot of coverage at the time that it all came out in August. A group of 10 Australian organisations wrote an open letter to the federal government urging Scott Morrison to take more decisive action on climate change. So far, that's a pretty standard story. I feel like we've heard stories like that a hundred times before. But when you look at the list of organisations who put their names to this letter, it's revolutionary. It included the Business Council of Australia, the Australian Industry Group, the National Farmers Federation, the Australian Aluminium Council and the Australian Council of Trade Unions. These are not environmental groups. These are not social justice groups. These are business and industry groups with very close connections to the Liberal government and politics in general. And even more amazing, some of these organisations have previously been part of the movement to block climate policies. And now they're writing open letters, joining the push for action. It's amazing. It's, it's really incredible. So what changed their stance? As it turns out, leaders from these organizations had just taken part in a five-day climate workshop where they heard from climate scientists as you would expect but they also heard from the Reserve Bank of Australia and the Insurance Australia Group IAG which is the biggest general insurance company in Australia and New Zealand. My guess is that not only were they learning about how drastic and how devastating the impacts of climate change will be for all of us they were also learning about how it was going to make their business insurance much more expensive and make loans more difficult to access and just generally how it will cost their businesses a shitload of money, plus, in the case of the farming groups, potentially destroy the way that they make money forever. The result is now they are asking the government to do better. And all of this has come from shifting the conversation towards these financial impacts. It comes from acknowledging what deep down motivates most of us, if not, I would say all of us to some degree, and leverages those motivations for the good of the planet. At this point, I think this is the smart thing to do. And I think it's really long overdue to kind of have this angle and this element to the conversation. I'm glad we're finally having it as part of the conversation. And I think it has the potential to really accelerate the progress that people have been pushing for for a long time and 
potentially be the thing that gets us over the line to have some more concrete policy around climate action. However, I will say that shifting to this monetary mindset in our conversations on climate, it does have some problems that need to be reconciled. The fact of the matter is that excessive consumption and this kind of unchecked, really aggressive capitalism is right at the heart of the climate crisis. You know, it's it's that quest to to want to make loads and loads of money on a broad level and on a high level that's kind of what's got us here in the first place so if we go back to thinking about the lawsuit against rest super again it is worth considering what message it sends to us corporations to make environmental changes purely for the financial benefits because that's not really shifting the behavior to be overall more sustainable. It's just repeating the same pattern of chasing profit, uh, just with a more positive side effect. That is, of course, a bit of a problem because once there are no more financial gains to be made, there's nothing that's really stopping a business from abandoning those policies and pursuing a different profit strategy, the next profit strategy, even if that is a more damaging one, because ultimately we never really moved away from the pursuit of profit at all cost. So there does have to be some place for collective responsibility in all of this. As for what happens next, I think we can all definitely expect to hear more and more about the financial cost in discussions of climate change in the media and in general. And my gut feeling really is that the tide is turning and that we're on the cusp of seeing real change because of this shift in focus. Of course, building on the progress and the changes that have already been made by people who've been pushing for this for a really long time. But as always, that's just me. So if you have a different take on all of this, my DMs are always open and I would love to hear it. Or you can email me at hey at zfeed.com.au. And if you found this episode of Debatable Insightful, please consider sharing it on social media and tagging us in it to help get the word out. We are trying to change the world one conversation at a time.